We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. You have your Bibles, open them with me, and we're going to find ourselves today in Exodus 11 and 12. We're going to read specifically from Exodus 12. But in Exodus 11 and 12, as we are continuing our journey together through the life of Moses, and we're looking at this rich history of the nation of Israel that God redeemed and God delivered, we find ourselves at what is known by all historians and Jews still today as the most quintessential event in the Old Testament. It is the most celebrated event in the Old Testament. It is the feast and the remembrance and the memorial that is still the apex of all celebrations when we see the event that we're reading about today. It is not only the heart of the Old Testament, but it also is the precursor to the very heart of the gospel. And understanding what we're going to see today about the Passover is essential to understanding everything about not only the Old Testament, but about understanding the New Testament as well. In fact, I, I think scholars would argue with me that if you don't understand what happened at Passover, if you don't understand what took place during this 10th plague of Moses that led to the exodus or exiting of Egypt, where they eventually would find themselves at the Red Sea and cross over and make their journey all the way from Goshen and Egypt up through to the Promised Land, that this event, maybe above all others, despite except maybe creation, is the absolute essential event in Jewish history that identifies them as being the people of God, delivered of God, promised of God. And so as we study this, I, I want you to try to listen this morning with fresh ears because this is going to be a story that you're very familiar with. It's going to be one that probably you've heard since childhood, but there are implications to the Passover event that affect everything about our faith, everything about our life, everything about the gospel, everything about the way we understand Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, everything we understand about the Levitical system and the sacrificial system that would get set up after this event. It's about how we understand atonement and how we understand forgiveness and how we understand substitution or propitiation. It's about how we understand ransom. So all of those things tell us that this morning and the text we're going to look at is absolutely important. You'll remember that last week we, we went on a blistering pace and we walked through the nine, nine of the plagues together and that we saw over and over again that Pharaoh's heart was continually hardened. And we find, though, that Pharaoh refused to relent, refused to let the people go. And so we find ourselves at the most troubling, the most awful judgment of God that we find ourselves in as we read together in Exodus 11 and Exodus 12. In just a moment, we are going to stand together and we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to see that God not only brings judgment, but God also provides a pathway for deliverance. But I want you to remember this morning our big idea, even as we read the text together today, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let me say that again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let's see that as we stand together and read Exodus chapter 12. We begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel 
that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they are to eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the shedding of blood and the remission of sin. We thank you for the privilege of knowing that today we can celebrate the gospel and know that there has been blood posted over the door frames of our souls if we've come to Jesus, that beautiful, wonderful, sacrificial Lamb of God. Lord, teach us today from your great and rich history how important it is that we would remember the Passover and how important it is that we would remember that you are a God who delivers. That God, you lift us up from the greatest pains and the greatest problems and you take us to a place of peace. Lord, we are so thankful that there is a deliverer, a redeemer, a ransoming God. And Lord Jesus, we bow before you today and ask you to help us to turn our eyes and our attention toward the beauty of your broken body and spilled blood so that, Lord, we would understand that you truly are the Lamb that is without blemish, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated this morning? Let's get something straight right off the bat. Right off the bat. I think in trying to establish this story and really understanding the nation of Israel as a whole, there's something that often people miss. And if we miss this, it will also make us miss our understanding of the whole gospel. Israel was not special because of anything Israel did. In fact, Israel was just as guilty as Egypt. When you look at the people of Israel and you look at the sins of people of Israel and you look at the hearts of the Israelites and the Jewish people, God did not look down through the corridors of time and choose Israel because they were more holy. He did not choose Israel because they were more righteous. They weren't better people. They didn't have better DNA than anyone else had. They didn't have more righteous actions than anyone had. And they were just as infected and inflicted with sin as any other people in all 
all of the world. So when you read this passage or you read any of the Old Testament, be careful that you understand that God's choosing or God's blessing of Israel does not mean that there is anything innate about Israel that means that they were deserving of the grace of God or the deliverance of God. And the reason that's important is if you don't understand about that about Israel, you'll never truly understand the gospel. Because there truly are people who believe that Christians in and of themselves are better people inherently than those people that aren't saved. Now, hopefully, because you're redeemed, you are better and more holy and more righteous, but you are not better and you are not more holy and you are not more righteous because of who you are. You are better and holy and more righteous because of who He is. You are not better and more holy and more righteous because of anything you've done. God didn't look through the corridors of time and say, now there is a fine kid. There is a wonderful, righteous, beautiful, intellectual individual who I believe is full of morality and I must choose them. No, God, if you are chosen, chose you in spite of the fact that you are none of those things. Same with Israel. So when we open up into the story and our understanding of of this incredible story of Passover, we need to understand not only the guilt of Egypt, but we also must understand the guilt of Israel. If Israel had not been guilty before God, there would have been no need to place blood over their doorpost. If they were not also sinners, there would have been no need for sacrifice. There would have been no need for any of that because they wouldn't have stood guilty before God. So as you read this, it's not the story of one evil group and one righteous group. It's the story of two unrighteous groups of people, which by the way are represented representative of every group of people. So the blood that went over the doorpost of the houses that were in Israel is blood that was absolutely needed, not only in Israel and over the door frames of their heart, but it means that it is true for everyone because the Bible says, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And the wages of sin is death. So that means that as you understand this passage, that the plague, when God sent this destroyer over the land of Egypt, and he killed all the firstborn children that did not have blood over the doorway, that is the judgment that everyone is due. I think I'm spending a while to set this up, but if you don't understand how deeply significant this is, we miss the point of the Passover because everyone is guilty before God. And when we start arguing, we want justice or we want fairness or we want what we deserve. What we deserve is the angel of death would fly over our lives and he would destroy us because we cannot stand before a holy God because we like Israel and we like Egypt stand guilty before him. Now let's get into the story. If blood hadn't been placed on the doorpost, the firstborn of Israel would have died as well. Now I want you to understand in this story that if you think it's a weird story, so did Israel. They had never been told to do this. 
Don't read, when you read into this, don't think that automatically when Moses and Aaron said, hey, look, you need to go get a year-old, undefective lamb, and I want you to kill it, and then I want you to eat it. And by the way, that's, if you read how they prepared it, that's not a tasty-sounding meal. I want you to roast it over the fire. I want you to have any leaven in the bread. I want bitter herbs placed on it. I want you to eat right with your cloak tucked in. I want you to hold your staff. Basically, I want you to turn that lamb into fast food. Why? because I want you to be ready to roll. In just a few moments, you're out of this house and you're gone from Egypt forever. So this meal is about you understanding that we're going to get some nourishment in your body because deliverance is about to come and I want you to be ready because when I say let's go, I mean let's go. That's the point. And so they're, they take this lamb, and, and so they're, they're preparing it differently. They're, they're seasoning it differently. They're eating it differently than they've eaten it before. And then not only that, then they're told that they're to take the blood of this lamb, they're to put it on the sides, and they're to put it on the top of the house. None of them have ever done that before. So don't read into this thinking, I bet this group of people just thought, oh, well, that's normal. It would be just as weird to them as it would be to you today if we had an announcement that tonight we're all going to slaughter animals and put blood all over our houses. They thought it was just as strange as you would think that command was even right now. So part of the point of the passage is not just what the blood does, but we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's that you, they are called to be obedient in the midst of this, even though they have no clue why this is important. They don't have any clue, and let's be honest, there is no power, no power in a dried lamb's blood. If we read this like it's some form of magical incantation that somehow dried lamb's blood that's crusted up over the house door is somehow going to build some kind of supernatural magic, you're understanding it wrong. It wasn't about the power in the lamb's blood. It was about the substitutionary sacrifice of the lamb and the obedience of the people to do what God had told them to do. So we're back to the blood. What is the big deal about blood? What's the big deal about blood? It's interesting that we actually know more now about the power of blood than they even knew about the power of blood then. We have a lot of medical people um, that are in here today, and you know a whole lot more about it than I do. Nurses and doctors and people that work in pharmacies and in labs. And if you have studied what blood actually does for the human body, it is absolutely unbelievable how something that you never think about, without it, you don't have a shot. It's one of the reasons that we have these blood drives, and you hear so much about blood types and all the things that go with that. So, so I just want to read to you today how important it is, the blood that with every heartbeat, if you feel your pulse right now, you're feeling blood that is coursing through your body. Let me tell you what's happening. Just a, a little, this is just a little bit of what's happening in your body at this very moment. Each drop of human blood contains over 5 million red blood cells. That's in a drop. In an average lifetime, a person's red cells arranged in a single file would reach from the earth to the sun and back five times. Our bodies contain approximately 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Through this delivery system, blood provides everything our cells need to live, and they take away waste that would poison us if we didn't have it. At the cellular level, capillaries are so small that they're about the size of a single red blood cell. 
to connect with all the cells in the body, capillary walls cover an area of about 70,000 square feet. The circulatory system is the epitome of consistency. Every day, the heart beats approximately 100,000 times. And over an average lifespan, this amazing machine beats 2.5 billion with a B times, pumping 60 million gallons of blood. During this time, the heart never takes time off. We can't afford for it to take a break. Even a few minutes without blood supply causes brain damage or death. Virtually all other cells in the human body are stationary, but blood is mobile tissue. It carries nutrients to every part of the body. It protects us from harm and heals our wounds. No wonder why the Old Testament says the life of every creature is in its blood. That's Leviticus 17, 14. The life of every creature is in its blood. So today we understand the significance of blood more deeply than even they did in the nation of Israel. There is no, there's not a single cell in the human body that can live without continual contact with life-giving blood. Every type of cell, from the ones that survive only moments to those that survive for years, owes its life to the flow of blood. So what we know is, is that blood is absolutely essential for your life. But we also know that when we understand blood, we're talking about the life of an individual. When we say that Christ's blood was shed for us, what are we saying? We are saying that his life was shed for us. And so as we begin to look forward already, even from the Passover to the cross, we're beginning to make some connections. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Exodus 18.20 says this, The soul who sins shall die. If the soul who sins shall die, who should die? If the soul who sins shall die, who should die? Everyone. But can we make this a little bit more personal? If the soul who sins shall die, who should die? Me. Good. Let's keep going. God provided a way that a substitute could die in the place of the sinner taking on God's judgment. But the lamb had to die. If the power was just in the blood without the death, then you could have bled the lamb, follow me, you could have bled the lamb without killing the lamb. We can do that today. People give blood all the time and they don't die. And there's life-giving power in that blood. But when the Bible talks about the sacrificial system and it talks about that there's power in the blood, the power that was in Jesus' blood wasn't just because we took a transfusion out of Jesus and placed it into us. It's because the blood represents life. And if you take away the blood, you take away life. So blood and life go hand in hand. It wasn't that you could have just taken this lamb and cut the lamb and then wiped blood over your doorpost and then patched the lamb back up, they still would have died in that moment because there wouldn't have been a substitutionary sacrifice or what some translations of the Bible call a propitiation for sin. I know we're getting deep into it this morning, but you're tracking with me. I can tell about 70% of you are paying attention, and that is awesome. So I'm gonna, we're just going to keep rolling with this because I, I think that some of you are grasping it, and so let's just keep plowing through and see if we can understand this even a little bit better. The lamb had to die. Hebrews 9.22, that is our big idea this morning. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, we live in an age which puts a disclaimer on everything. 
If you've watched a movie recently that had animals in it, you saw this disclaimer, haven't you? There, no animals were harmed during the making of this film. Have you, have you seen that? Let me go back to ancient Israel. Millions of animals were harmed. Millions of animals were butchered and slaughtered. Now, if some of you have some refined sensibilities and you don't like talking about death or blood, I just want you to know today's sermon is not for you. And the reason I think that's important is I don't think all of the time we need to bleach and try to Clorox the story because you don't understand how important it is if we just move through it so quickly. These lambs were brought into slaughter. You read about that just as we talked about even in the Passover. But what the Passover would lead to in the Old Testament was a thousand plus years of old covenant reign where there were more than a million animals who were sacrificed as a part of this covenant. Considering that each bull that was sacrificed probably spilled about a gallon or two of blood. And each goat that was sacrificed would have probably been about a quart of blood. What that means is that the entire old covenant rested on a sea of blood. During the Passover, which they celebrated this event, even when they built, you remember this, they built the temple and all the Jews would come to the temple to celebrate Passover. What was Jesus doing when he was killed? He was going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, right? So when he goes to celebrate Passover, you need to understand, just get a picture about what was taking place. They were having Memorial Day, like we're having... They were having Memorial Day, and they had it every year for the event that we are reading about today, just to help you kind of put it in historical context. And so when they went, during Passover, there had to be a whole new plumbing system that was placed in. It was a trough that was constructed from the temple to the Kidron Valley, all for the disposal of blood. There was so much blood during Passover, they had to have a separate plumbing system to get the blood out of the temple and out of the temple area. That's a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. And some of you are thinking right now, because I, I know some of, because it's interesting when you preach a sermon like this, because there's some people that are leaned in and they're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And then there's, there's a few of you, because you're like me, you don't do a good job of hiding your face. Like you don't, you, you're, you don't have a poker face. So there's about 20 of you right now that are looking at me like this kind of wincing because you're thinking about that's disgusting like move on get to the point but I want you to simmer in this for a moment because I want you to understand how this all builds in the old covenant and the new covenant how it comes together because if we understand that then we also understand when we get to the new testament it helps us to understand verses like Hebrews 10 4 Hebrews 10.4 says this, The blood of sheep and goats cannot take away sins. Well, if it can't take away sins, why did they keep killing them? Why did they keep sacrificing them? Why did they keep doing this? Why are millions of animals being killed and plumbing systems of blood and irrigation channels being built to get blood out during Passover? If animals being killed can't forgive sins, then why keep doing it? Let me ask you the other side of that question. If killing animals could forgive sins, why in the world would God have allowed his son to be murdered? 
It makes no sense. So what these are is these are a prefigurement, a foreshadowing, a type that even in the Old Testament was not to meant to be a complete system. It was meant for them to point towards one that would complete the system. So even your faith was not in, you gotta, you got to come in close, you got to listen on this. Your faith was never in the Lamb. Your faith was never in the goat. Your faith was never in the blood over the doorpost. Your faith was in the God of the lamb and the God of the goat. And that God recognizing that this substitution was pointing towards a greater substitution. So the Israelites, their faith was not in the lamb. Their faith was in what the lamb prefigured and the Messiah that they were looking for. Because in the story of Moses, we see that Moses is their deliverer to get them out of Egypt, but even then there would be a greater deliverer who was going to come who wouldn't just lead them out of Goshen in Egypt and take them to the promised land, but would liberate their souls who had been absolutely destroyed by sin and death and take them to a place of promise where no more were you identified by the slavery and bonds of sin, but now you were free indeed in the person and work of Christ. It's why 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this about Jesus. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's why 1 Peter 1.19 states that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. It's why John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's why Jesus himself in Matthew 26.28, he looked at the disciples and he told them, This is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When when you understand the Passover event, you now are beginning to understand the gospel. You're beginning to understand the necessity of Christ's work and atonement and redemption and deliverance that took place on the cross. If we could be saved by blood without death, animals would not have had to die. Jesus would not have had to die. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 2,000 years of animal sacrifices weren't capable of producing what the blood of Christ can accomplish. Friends, we can enter into God's presence, but we will never enter into God's presence by self-effort. We will never enter into God's presence by our own righteousness. If we could, we wouldn't need atonement. But forgiveness is a costly thing. And I think far too often we've take it, taken it lightly and we've taken it flippantly. God does not forgive sin by overlooking it. I am, there's a liberalism that's found its way into theology that almost wants to paint God of the New Testament in some type of cosmic child abuser because he allowed his son to be killed for our sins. And so the thinking is that if he is God, then why did he have to allow or to kill his own son so that someone else could be forgiven? Now, if you follow that line of thinking, it's because they're saying, why couldn't God just overlook it? Why couldn't he just ignore it? That's a good question. 
because of his holiness and his righteousness and his justice and his purity. God cannot overlook sin. Because without the shedding of blood, without the atonement, without the payment, then there's no way that anyone can come into the acceptance or forgiveness of God to come into the presence of God. So he doesn't forgive sin by overlooking it. He doesn't grade on a curve. That's another thing that I think probably needs to be said. Because there's a lot of people, and you hear this all the time, whether or not you read it or not. The majority of people in America and in the world think God grades on a curve. Because if you ask them, is God going to let you into his heaven? They'll say, oh yeah, I think I'm going to make it. And then you'll ask them, why do you think you're going to make it? And they'll start to tell you how good they are or good things they've done. And if they take it a step forward, they'll name really horrible people. And they'll say, well, I know I'm better than them. And I know I'm better than them. And if, if anybody can get in, I mean, I'm all, I'm, I ought to because I obviously have done better things than a lot of people have. That means that, that most people think God's grading on a curve and that you just need to be better than somebody else. But it's not like if I die one day and I happen to have died and was standing there by Charles Manson or, or the worst serial killer that you could possibly think of, that I'm standing there in front of God. He's not looking at me and saying, hey, are you better than Charles Manson? Because if he was, maybe I would sit there and maybe in my own absolute self-righteousness look over and think, you know what, I'm good. I died at the good time because if he's taking one of the two, I know I'm beating Manson. That's not how it works. Because when you stand before God, you're not going to be compared to you. And I'm not going to be compared to you. And you're not going to be compared to anybody else. You're going to be compared to the blazing holiness of God. And when you are compared to the blazing, holy righteousness of God, you will be found wanting. That's why you need a substitute. That's why you need a redeemer. That's why you need a sacrificial lamb. Sin demands death. And the only death worth enough to pay for all of mankind's sins is the death of Jesus. So many people tell us, I've been watching a documentary lately, and I'm hearing this all of the time, that God will just accept us just as we are. And I thought, you know, sometimes I think there are people in church because what's the most famous invitation hymn of all time? Just as I am. Can I tell you something? You come just as you are, but God does not accept you just as you are. Make no mistake about it. Because when we come to God, immediately when we come to God, we have absolutely no value to bring Him. So when we come to Jesus, we are coming and with no value to bring, we're presented to God just as we are, but we're presented not what we were when we came to Jesus, but totally made new. All men have to die, the Bible says, and after that, the judgment is going to come. So you are either going to pay for your sins at judgment, which you cannot do, or you're going to pay for your sins by having someone else pay for it for you. Think about it like this. I want you to imagine that you went to a, a restaurant. I don't know, last night or day for lunch. You got through with the bill, and the waiter walked up to you, and he said, uh, that's going to be $3,487,000. And you look at him, you're going, are you kidding? I had like some tacos. What's going on? 
And you, you say, well, I don't, I don't have $4 million. I don't have $4 million to pay this bill. And it's a bill that is so astronomical that there's no way you could ever get out from under it. I want you to understand the gospel is that you've been given a bill for your sins and you can't pay it. You don't have the money. You don't have the credit. You don't have the righteousness. You don't have the blood. So we've got to say, hey, I can't pay this bill. I need someone to pay the bill for me. Good, good, good. You're getting it. But there's only one that can pay it for you. And by now, you probably know the Sunday school answer. His name is Jesus. Now, not only can Jesus be the only one that pays it, but there's only one currency that Jesus can use to pay your bill. What's the currency? It is his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, Isaac asked Abraham a question. Isaac's about to be murdered at the altar, so Abraham thinks. And Isaac asked this question. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We know that there would eventually be a ram that showed up in the thicket. In Exodus chapter 12, we just read about the lamb that was sacrificed at Passover. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is foretold as the lamb that would be led to slaughter. And all of those things get us back to where, unfortunately, we haven't spent enough time in recent years talking about the necessity of blood atonement. There is a necessity for us to talk about blood. And some people are saying, that turns off a a, a new generation. They don't want to hear about blood. They'll go to hell without hearing about blood. They'll go to hell without hearing about blood. You can't be saved without blood. You can't be saved without it. So we come back to the discussion of blood. And it's why many of the old great hymn writers wrote songs like this. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's why we sing the blood will what? Never lose its power. It's why we sing that there is a fountain. And it's what did William Cowper say? And it is filled with blood. And it's flowing from Emmanuel's veins. There is power, power wonder-working power in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Friends, the greatest struggle is not understanding what I've told you today. The greatest struggle is in obeying what you've heard today. I truly believe that when it comes to the Bible, the greatest struggle that people have is the same struggle Israel had. And that is not under, it's not, not on being able to understand God's commands. It's doing what God said do. At the end of the day, Israel had to not only sacrifice the lamb, they had to put the blood over the doorpost and the sides of their house. They had to cook the meal, and they had to gird up their loins. That means they had to absolutely physically get ready with their clothing and their staff to hit the road because redemption was coming. It was going to be time to leave Egypt and all its familiarity, but it was also time to leave their chains. Faith in blood is considered, a fool, is considered foolish today in a lost world. And but we knew that. Paul said that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is power in the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus will wash away your sins. But I'm not asking you today whether you understand what I've told you. I'm asking you today whether or not you're being willing to be obedient to the call of God on your life. 
God will take the blood of Jesus and place it over the doorpost of your house so that when the angel of death comes over your soul to take you to hell for all eternity, that he will fly over and you will be rescued unto a place called heaven so that forevermore you can live with Jesus so that when 10,000 times 10,000 years have passed, you'll have no less days to sing his praise than when you first begun. But it's not going to happen unless you're obedient to the gospel. It's not going to happen unless you come to Jesus. And some of you may be thinking, you know, I, I, I probably ought to do that. No, you have to do it. You absolutely have to do it. And you have to do it now. You need to do it now. And one of the reasons that you need to do it now is that when Jesus reaches out to your soul and says, I want to save you, how dare you slap the hand of God? He's reached out to you today, and some of you are hearing the call that's on your life. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you to not only hear the gospel, but obey the gospel. Because if you will obey the gospel, the blood of Jesus will wash you whiter than snow and separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a hope that is secure, that is the anchor for your soul. And it's found in the perfect Lamb of God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But praise God, there has been the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood for you and for me. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.